0: Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhoge.com. Today, Tuesday, the 26th of February, 2019, episode 85, a very special episode this because technically tomorrow is our one year anniversary, which means today you can get a sneak peek at something I've been working on for the last several days, my first ever video review of a car, the Tesla Model 3 with autopilot, because of course, it's a nearly 20 minute episode in which I do a road trip from Marin County, just north of San Francisco, down to Palo Alto in Silicon Valley, a journey of 50 miles. You can catch the special trailer, it's live now, on all my social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of them, at Autonomous Hogue. Of course, it's on YouTube as well, but because I don't yet have 100 subscribers, I don't yet have YouTube.com slash Autonomous Hogue, so hint hint, please make sure to subscribe. Anyway, with that out of the way, today... It turns out that all autonomous emergency braking systems are not created equal. Singapore pursues autonomous vehicles for the elderly, and we draw yet further connections between aviation accidents and autonomous cars. All this, right now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armorall, Less work, more clean. Terms apply. So to kick things off today, a quick discussion about Autonomous emergency braking systems, and more specifically, how they apparently aren't all made equally. Um, weird coincidence, this. So, if you remember last week, I had the really great fortune uh, to meet up with Alex Roy down in Palo Alto. Uh, we had a really great chat about these systems and how, yeah, you know, whether the issue is that they're not created equally, or perhaps they're not implemented equally by the various auto manufacturers, it turns out some of them just plain sucked to the point of being completely and utterly useless. And then, weirdly, if ever there was an example of a case of our cell phones listening to our conversations, that exact same day, that evening, an article popped up for me on Jalopnik. Uh, They have an article on precisely this point. Uh, The BMW X1's automatic emergency braking system is terrible. So... This is a really interesting thing to dive into, and frankly, as Alex suggested, it is something I'd like to really get some more data points on. Um, It seems to me, well, let me first give you the backstory. So it turns out there's this BMW X1, the 2018 um, model. It turns out its automatic uh, emergency braking for pedestrians is just plain useless. There's, in fact, a really nice video embedded at the top of the Jalopnik article. You can check it out as it absolutely obliterates a mannequin pedestrian. So there's a, there's a quote here, something along the lines of, let's see here. Um, okay, so, so BMW spokesperson is talking here about the 2019 X1, saying that the upper threshold for the autonomous braking system on the X1 is 60 kilometers per hour, which translates to the not-so-round 37.5 miles per hour, as indicated on the speedometer. But given that BMW speedometers are calibrated conservatively and that the IIHS test was performed at exactly 37 miles per hour. It may be that the IIHS tested the system above the designed threshold. So as I say, there's a lot to get into here. A lot of data points I'd love to kind of scour around for, but the first thing that kind of strikes me here is, uh, did anyone remember something like margin of error? I mean, isn't this kind of just a common thing that, that that engineers generally bake into their products and their designs. I mean, like, you, you know, <laughs> heck, you could even look to science fiction for that matter. I mean, you know, just go back to Star Trek days where Scotty or La Forge on the Enterprise are talking about how the Enterprise is reaching its structural design limits. And of course, everybody knows it's got a whole fantastically huge margin of error built into it, right? So similar things with aircraft, you know, okay, so certain aircraft have maximum takeoff weights and landing weights. Um, you know, the, these these are just the theoretical limits based on uh, what the aircraft's been tested for. So for example, if you remember, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, the temperatures down in Arizona had reached such an exceedingly hot degree of hell that aircraft were no longer allowed to take off. It's because the temperatures exceeded the maximum operating temperatures for aircraft to take off. This didn't mean, of course, that the aircraft wouldn't be physically able to take off. It's not like oh, at one hundred and. 20 degrees Fahrenheit, say, we're just fine, we can take off, but 121, we can't. No, what it means is that legally they're not not allowed to operate because at above a certain temperature threshold, there is simply no testing data. This is, of course, important because we need to know things like how long will it take to you know, do a rejected takeoff or what's the climb rate going to be at a certain temperature and so on. And so it's not a matter of the airplane won't physically be able to do it. It's just that it's never been tested and therefore it's not legally allowed. Um, so you see where I'm going with all this, right? It's all about having margin for error. So if an autonomous emergency braking system says it's going to operate at speeds of up to 60 kilometers or an hour, geez, at least let it work at speeds up to seventy kilometers an hour, or preferably yet say fifty percent better, so ninety kilometers an hour. I mean this to me is pretty obvious i mean it it, it like you shouldn't just like the 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 threshold for usability for a system like this in which a pedestrian's life is literally on the line, I mean it shouldn't exactly be as advertised it should be like fifty percent better than advertised. I mean, the whole idea is here to be conservative. I mean, and I find it really funny because BMW says as much that their speedometer is conservative. And to be fair, a lot of auto manufacturers do this, where like, if you're traveling 60, you're actually going like 55. And this is presumably to help avoid any sort of lawsuits about getting speeding tickets. Well, I mean, geez, if you're going to make your speedometer conservative, at least make your autonomous emergency braking systems conservative too. This, to me, is not the rocket science part of even semi-autonomy. Getting cars to negotiate streets and pedestrians generally and bicyclists and bunches of crazy people cutting you off on the road, that's the tricky thing. Getting your autonomous braking system to function conservatively, that's 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 simply just a tweak in the code, effectively. Um, so, by all means, market it as being usable up to 60 kilometers an hour, but obviously let it work. better, say 90 kilometers an hour. And that, I think, will solve the problem. Hey there, just a friendly reminder. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes, and don't forget to follow me on all social media at AutonomousHogue. So this next segment uh, kind of follows logically from some of the things we've discussed a few times in the last several weeks, namely the application of autonomous vehicles for the elderly or disabled of the population. And it turns out that Singapore is really kind of leading the way here. Uh, I did not know this, but it turns out that Singapore has been aging uh, more rapidly and at a faster rate than anywhere else in the world. And so Singapore's goal is to obviously enable mobility for the elderly or disabled or those who are otherwise unable or unwilling to get around on their own. And so to that end, it turns out there is a startup called Muvita. That's M-O. It's basically like what a cow says with life at the end of it. Muvita. Um. So M W O V I T A. It's founded by CEO Dilip Limbu, um, and basically, if you can picture sort of pod cars that really stand out from regular vehicles, the idea is that they're testing these around on a purpose-built test track in Singapore. It's designed to basically recreate to mimic an urban environment. It spans over five acres at Singapore's Nanyang Technological University. So the idea here is, of course, to really fast track AVs for this aging and disabled subset of the population, Um, the idea being that you've got to enable mobility for everybody, not just those who are able. So this is, I think, a really great step forward and certainly builds and uh, gives, uh, it sort of validates what I've been saying for quite some time now, that one of the really perfect use cases for autonomous vehicles is indeed the elderly or disabled. I think also the fact that this is in a restricted area also validates what I said in just the previous episode, which is let's not try to put the cart before the horse, as it were. Let's really focus on getting autonomous vehicles uh, rolled out in, in absolutely geofenced areas. The only sort of change I made to that strategy was don't think of geofencing as a limitation, rather think of it as a liberation, uh, because if you have geofenced bits of road— that is designated AV lanes on sort of all roads, then it's not really that much of a limitation at all. So, yeah, I think I think this will be a really great uh, company to follow, and hopefully they can set the standard by which others aspire. I think uh, really this, this is a very, very obvious use case, and I think it's one that can be uh, fast-tracked sooner rather than later. If you have any doubts about that, just go back and listen to my episode with David New from Florida. And... Um, What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, to wrap things up today, one of my favorite discussions, as you know, connecting the dots between aviation and autonomous vehicles. So if you remember, several months ago, there was a pretty shocking accident. Um, A brand new Boeing 737 MAX uh, being flown with Lion Air, an Indonesian uh, airline, Uh, crashed shortly after takeoff. And this really was an astounding thing because besides the fact that aviation accidents were so few and far between, the fact that this occurred on a literally brand new aircraft, like, I don't just mean brand new model design, I mean, like, actually physically brand new manufactured piece of metal. Um, This was just new, full stop. Uh, The fact that this crashed right after takeoff so soon after construction was just sort of staggering. Um, I actually can't really think of any other example, and certainly not in recent history where this has happened. The only one that comes to mind, to be honest, is like way back in the, let's see, the late 40s, early 50s, the de Havilland Comet, which was obviously ill-fated from the start due to a design defect in its passenger windows, which developed stress points at the corners, which were actually, um, you know, sort of right angles rather than the curved corners that we see in modern aircraft and this led to catastrophic fuselage failure due to compression decompression as it climbed and descended so yeah i can't really think of any other example of a new aircraft failing so shortly after rolling off the assembly line well that is of course precisely what happened the issue here was well i'm not going to get into the details suffice to say there was a new um sort of safety layer baked into the flight computer, which was meant to kind of take control of the aircraft if necessary to avoid a stall. Uh, this particular system apparently had a bit of a malfunction and suffice to say it was wrestling with the crew quite literally. Uh, the The pilots were trying to basically prevent the aircraft from taking over physically wrestling with the control stick and, They weren't able to do so, and eventually it failed. The plane went into all sorts of oscillations and eventually, tragically, horrifically crashed. All lives on board, of course, were lost. The the point of this story and the reason why it's such an important one is because, again, it kind of suggests things for how autonomous cars should be played out. Um, There's obviously far more variables going on with cars on the road than aircraft in the sky. This is why we've had autonomous aircraft for decades and why we're not anywhere. Well, we're obviously closer, but we're still quite some time away before we get autonomous cars everywhere on the roads at all times. Um, and, And I think so. So the big question here and the big lesson to be learned is, you know, what went wrong? Where in the chain, as it were, did stuff go wrong and what could be done to prevent it? What's interesting is that this sort of problem with the Lion Air tragedy this occurred even as we reach and indeed surpass the safest moment in aviation. Um, This with all the rigorous sort of standards and rules, regulations, et cetera, you know, set forth not just here in the US by the FAA, the Federal um, uh, Aviation Administration, but also internationally, the ICAO and IATA and that kind of thing, right? So, Still, even with all this regulation, things invariably go wrong. So this basically, you can see where I'm going with this. This just kind of perfectly segues to what I've been saying a lot lately, which is that if we want to have any possible hope of a truly safer world of autonomous cars, we are absolutely going to need some very rigorous standards. And in the same way that the that, that NHTSA, the NHTSA, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, was born out of the Department of Transportation itself, and prior to that, something else besides, because the government realized they needed a dedicated administration just to handle um uh, highway transportation safety for vehicles. And of course, the way the FAA also came out of the DOT, I believe it wasn't officially formed until 1958. Similarly, we're going to realize that we need a dedicated federal autonomous vehicle administration. And this needs to roll out sooner than later. I've been saying this for a really quite some time now, quite a few months, I guess. And I think this example with the Lion Air accident. Uh, This really just perfectly illustrates why we need this for autonomous cars. Look, there's many more variables. There's many more things that can go wrong. And actually, now that I think about it, to the point of the first segment we just did in today's episode about the failure of BMW's autonomous emergency braking systems, look, the big question still unanswered is... Was the failure, you know, first of all, was it a manufacturing defect or a design defect? No, it definitely seems like a design defect. But even then, is it a design defect in the actual modules which do the autonomous emergency braking? Or is it a design defect in the systems that integrate some third-party module into that BMW X1 specifically? In other words, for all we know right now, that module could work just fine in any number of other cars, but perhaps it just failed due to the way it was designed and implemented into that specific BMW model. Well, the whole point of having a set of standards, having an administration that regulates this thing, and above and beyond that, having uh, sort of, you know... Mandating sort of a margin of error and mandating backup systems, duplicates, triplicates, even quadruplicates, right? This is something that would be set forth by just such an administration to help prevent the, you know, the certain number of accidents and eventual tragedies with autonomous cars as they start to roll out. Look, we don't need to wait for these accidents to occur before we start to mandate this sort of thing. Let's, for once, be uh, proactive, not reactive, as it were. So really, this is kind of a roundabout way of getting to my point that I've said a few times, which is we need a Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration, full stop. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. Don't forget to catch the trailer for tomorrow's 20 minute video review of the Tesla model three with autopilot. You can catch it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at autonomous Hogue. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Once I reach 100 subscribers, I can finally land youtube.com slash autonomous Hogue. So thanks so much until next time. Bye-bye.